It's This Week in Sleaze with your hosts, King Who and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Yes, welcome back. You've heard the intro. This is Sleazy K. There's still no King Who, but uh, we have still someone else in the room. And I'm saying someone else because... Last week we debated whether or not that person, what name that person should have. And it, uh, so, you know what? Introduce yourself, person, to this weekend's list. <laughs> Hello there. This is the great Lord Joshua Regal. <laughs> and you've set yourself up to be in character throughout the entire Correct. series. <laughs> Let's talk about these Get Three movies, are you? Are you there, Governor? Oh, God, so, no. So, no, no you're, you're a pirate now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Now everybody's mad at me. Right. <laughs> you actually welcomed everybody to This Week in Slee 7, yes. Tidy Wily Theater. <gasps> uh, no, 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 not the double bill. This Week in Slee's double bill. What happened to that? Well, hmm? in the shower, I thought... Uh, amongst other things in, in the shower that I do, I thought of a new name of the This Week in Sleeves double bill. You know, a name that makes more sense considering how this show has been shaped in the past uh, via King Who's uh, influence. And uh, yeah, Tidy Whitey Theatre f- seemed appropriate for our double bill reviews of connected, unconnected, just fucked up, category free exploitation, or, or not. You know, just a, our double bill selection. It's Tidy Whitey Theatre. So, despite both movies tonight, the movies being kidnap and sentenced to hang, despite those being quite serious, that that will still be our brand name and our clothing of choice. Of course. Right? Yes. You as well? Sure. Stained? Uh, they're kind of new. I had to go buy them. <laughs> you, go, you go into the kitchen and, uh, and uh, create some wear and tear. And come back. <laughs> I'm sorry. First off, this is, as we said, this week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire network. And this uh, show is located together with, uh, what is it, five other shows? Or six other shows? I, I, I'm, I'm losing count. Uh, it's all at podcastonfire.com regardless. You can contact us uh, via email, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. We are uh, located on the forum as well, so ask us questions on the forums, uh, which is located at podcastonfire.com forward slash forum. There's the uh, perk of registering registering on the forum in the form of a members-only package from the past, uh, a a great old package of outtakes and exclusive content uh, lasting hours in length. Uh, So uh, you can extend your experience that way your podcast on fire network experience that way but we've uh, reinvented that format into a the bonus episode format uh, essentially when we have something of substance to to post uh, and it, that substance may come from uh, this week in sleeves you know the smell that you, uh, you you know feel and and the substance that you see <laughs> uh, might come from this week in sleeves and we'll post that in the bonus episode uh, section therefore uh, and, um, you know, we, we might call them boner episodes just to be really <laughs> mature about it, but, 
you know, a separate section on the site, you know, bonus episodes from the various closet shows, like Korea, what's Korean cinema, Japan on Fire, and then there's the boner episodes. The boner episodes. 45 minutes of, uh, you know, pee and knob gags. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and as it should be. Yes, you know. fart jokes. Yeah, exactly. Josh, did you fart? Yes, I did! <laughs> it smelled real bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and thank God we don't let that out on iTunes and Stitcher. Therefore, it's all <laughs> located on the website, you know, kept in the in, in the con in the confinements of the website. But uh, we have bonus episodes logged already for the various shows, like Japan on Fire and Podcast on Fire. So check the site there more often. And one week you might get a you know a great big double dose of uh, of uh, episodes uh, via main one and a bonus episode one. So. Um, that's all on podcastonfire.com. We are also on Facebook. We have our fan page located at facebook.com forward slash POF network. And we have our steadily growing Facebook discussion group that we, we don't have a, a, a firm URL for that one. So just type in podcast on fire network in the little Facebook search box and uh, you'll find us. I do my writings, Lisa K, that is, on SoGoodReviews.com and SleazyKVideo.com is where you find the video reviews of the main reviews. And uh, um, I put up, uh, as of this recording, I finally put up the written Robotricks review and also a slight uh, video review. And uh, of course, Josh and I did uh, the Robotricks Escape from Brothel uh, review last time around on this weekend's lease so it's been a lot of uh, robot tricks and i'm not tired of it at all you know no it's uh it's uh it demands uh re-examination uh, even if only for to look with your sort of jaw dropped at the fashion that the uh, western uh, robots at the expo uh, that chest hair yeah ken goodman <laughs> and mark king uh, looking incredibly embarrassed uh, but uh, good good man good man good on it um and uh, I'm also on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. And I think I didn't mention this, but the Podcast on Fire network is on Twitter as well, which is at Podcast on Fire. You can subscribe to the entire network on iTunes, rate and uh, leave us a comment if you like on there. And you can also stream us via the application Stitcher, stitcher.com for the desktop application and for links to uh, the various uh, app stores of um, that is connected to uh, your smartphone so you can listen to us on the go just type in when you get into the application podcast on fire network that allows you to pick and your favorite show uh, out of all the six seven ones that we have uh, individually so it's all uh, neatly organized for you in that way and uh, josh tell us about uh, your two endeavors and uh, Whichever site you reference first may, means that that is the site you love the most, you know, that you treat with the most care and priority. So be careful because there are about people, people are going to listen to this. So what do you want to talk about first? It's over at twitch.com. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading a really great article. Um, no. Uh, okay, now that's out of the way. <laughs> uh, varied celluloid... Uh, you know, that's my website, my home base, for those who don't know, and currently just working on reviews for the site and stuff like that. It's pretty soon uh, you'll see a bunch of, like, uh, nurse-related films from the Roger Coleman uh, Nurses Collection. Reviews oh, nice. shall be posted up. Uh, we're talking mainly uh, sex comedies? Then? Sex comedies, primarily, yeah. or just, like, um, just sexy movies. 
like okay. uh, night call nurses, candy stripe nurses, private cool. duty nurses, young nurses. Some uh, talent uh, behind and in front of the camera back in those movies. Uh, yeah, that we know. I mean, going through them, um, as far as like the cast and stuff like that, these girls like seem to start in the movies and pretty much moved on from there right. on out. But uh, there's no, a couple. No, no Jack Nicholson participation in these, for instance. No, I did see though. I was watching um, private duty nurses, and they had the. You mean the, the guy who played the You said duty. <laughs> I was Beavis and Butthead when I was six. So. Yes, I heard about that. <laughs> but uh, I, I did notice the um, guy who played the principal on The Breakfast Club. That's like the only star I think I've seen so far. But right, uh, right It's nice to see him. And uh, aside from that, also doing some uh, other sleazy movies, uh, Nikatsu's... Uh, these are Japanese films, but I like uh, Nikatsu's Debauchery and True Story of a Woman in Jail, Sex Hell. Those should be coming up mm-hmm. soon as well. Talking uh, pink or Roman porno? Uh, Nikatsu, so it's probably Roman porno, but the covers have a lot of S&M on the front, so I'm really not sure. I haven't delved into the movies. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Irugoro, I'm not sure. You know. <laughs> I, I got a confession to make. In my naive, uh, in naive brain-dead ways, when I heard the term... Roman porno uh, connected to Japanese movies. I thought they were doing sword and sandal movies in Japanese! <laughs> with, with George Harrison popping up. Uh, yeah, with just all, all Japanese cast, but, you know, essentially <laughs> Caligula in Japan. And and that would kind of make that, sense in my mind, you know what I mean? But but then it dawned on me that ro- romance, this romantic is, porno, yeah. okay. It, it did, all of a sudden it didn't sound as fun anymore, but maybe these are. It isn't. Okay, yeah. I mean, they, there are some uh, really fantastically well-made movies from what I've seen. You know, I'm not an expert on the genre or nothing like that. But yeah, very well-made films, very you know pretty to look at. But yeah, there's no nothing that could compare to like uh, a couple of gladiators dueling it out and then banging chicks or something, which yeah. sounds way cooler. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, and we we gotta mention, of course. Uh, ShelfLifeClothing.com uh, because uh, Br- Brian Kirby was a uh, was a new dad and all of that. Uh, he uh, a great uh, T-shirt designer and uh, intro-outro designer for the podcast on Fire Network, including the the one you heard at the top of the show. Uh, go over to his site and uh, su- support his uh, T-shirt endeavor or buy a skate deck or a belt belt or a hoodie. You know, there's some fantastic designs by Brian, uh, including a category free T-shirt, of course. My, my personal current favorite is the uh, handover T-shirt, which is uh, essentially, you know, the British flag. There's some uh, bikini girls out of a sort of a 60s James Bond movie. There's a, it's essentially giant fat in the middle as James Bond. And uh, j- just a great, great T-shirt, handover T-shirt. But there's, of course, his uh, kaiju T-shirt, which is his own invented uh, kaiju movie. I, I think uh, it's a Cerosaur versus Wolf Human T-shirt, which is a made-up movie by Brian himself. Uh, and uh, of course, the Destroy All Mobsters yes. T-shirt, which mixes uh, some neat uh, Japanese uh, influence all in one. So, uh, so uh, support Brian. He's uh, doing a great job, and uh, and um, that's all at ShelfLifeClothing.com. And a few seconds ago, I think I said George Harrison when I meant Richard Harrison. Oh, that was so... sweet. George Harrison, you got my respect even more. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. well, I mean, that would be too cool, too, to see uh, George Harrison from the Beatles in, like, a sword and sandal movie. But uh... <laughs> Well, they, they did went into 
strange endeavors over the years. Uh, you know, <laughs> they were involved in everything, man. Yeah, so uh, I mean, d- during their sort of uh, uh, their uh, their salt and peppers period, where uh, pepper period, where ideas probably came to them. I wouldn't be surprised if you know something like that came to you know George. <laughs> what if we were in like you know ancient Rome, bro? But, uh, but but alas, no. Uh, at, le- at least not as far as we know. You know, they they might unearth some stuff uh, in ten years or forty years or so. so. Yeah. And we'll be here to talk about that. <laughs> Old and wrinkly. Uh, right here. Uh, you know, b- before we move on, uh, how, how now with one episode under your belt here? Yeah, I mean, you're you're a veteran of uh, podcasting, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. with one episode under your belt here, how do you feel? How how did you did did you feel it went? I believe it was a very entertaining episode. I would like to hope. And uh, hopefully the audience agrees. And hopefully I can improve and, you know, have a better showing with each increasing episode. Yeah, that's a good that's a good attitude uh, to, right. uh, to, to have. And I, I know for a fact uh, that, uh, you know, even though it might sound very, you know, Goes to say that uh, it's a really good episode because I was in it, but but you know what I, I w- when I listen back to these shows like weeks after or at at release, I, I can sort of distance myself from them. And they, we you know we did all right. Uh, I'm very I'm very uh, confident that we provided a decent or fair mixture of fun and info, yes. and uh, that's um, you know you know hopefully we'll get some good feedback. Actually, when we're recording this, it's actually the day that episode which was our Escape from Brothel and Robotrix double bill, as we said, that was released today, uh, so, like uh, yeah. eight hours ago. So um, there's been a lot of uh, masturbation jokes already in the, in the talkback <laughs> section. So we are on our way. <laughs> it's only a matter of time for, like, get rid of that guy, man. Where's King Who? And understandably so. Yeah, and then you and uh, you and King Who can therefore head the show. Yes. What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's what I said. Uh, self-loathing, as I, t- as I said to you earlier today. Self-loathing. Yes. A little musical break, and then it's time to talk Kidnap from Shaw Brothers, out of all places. 1974, way before any Category 3 rating. So come yes. back in 30 seconds or so. Or stay and listen to the 30 seconds of music that I insert. You don't need to leave. Stay. Welcome back, and we are taking a look at Kidnap from 1974 first. And the reason I picked these two movies and not some, you know, wild, violent uh, Anthony Wong movie or Simon Yam movie is uh, it, it's important to speak of, in particular, the latter movie, Sentence to Hang, because it's the first Category 3 rated movie in Hong Kong. But uh, I saw that first once upon a time, then I got kidnapped when it was released on uh, DVD by IVL and Celestial. It's a Shaw Brothers movie, part of the remastering program. And then I realized this movie is very, very, very familiar. And it's, it's, uh, it turns out Sentence to Hang is a remake of, of uh, Kidnap. Yes. So uh, why not go in order and sort of compare, compare them that way, despite Kidnap nor Sentence to Hang really being 
category three movies in terms of their outrageous uh, violence or sex or nudity. They're mm-hmm. rather subdued considering the movies we cover on this show, but uh, important uh, nonetheless. Uh, so, f- first of all, uh, a little plot which will apply to both movies, actually. Uh, the yes. character names are different, obviously the cast is different, but the, it's the exact same plot. So, it's from my review of uh, Kidnap. So, tired of being pushed over friends long away, which is played by Lolit of King Boxer fame and uh, a ton of Show Brothers movie. Xiao uh, Hai Chuan, which is played by heavyset Fan Mei Sheng from The Magnificent Butcher. Another friend is called Niu Ta Kang, which is played by Tung Lam, also in King Boxer. And Ting Xiao Xiang, played by Lam Wai Tiu. All of these friends, four friends, hatch a kidnapping plan that will, if all goes right, bring them wealth. As they uh, they kidnap first a uh, son of a, of a tycoon or a boss, and uh, then kidnap the boss as uh, well. So they uh, put on a little ransom uh, ransom game here, ransom plan. Uh, but it all soon turns to murders, and the wolves, as the gang call themselves, uh, they become wanted uh, criminals. And uh, it's, um, as I said... It was made at Shaw Brothers in 1974 and written and directed by Shingong, which is, uh, among other things, is a veteran director, co-director of the classic 14 Amazons and actually the father of director and action director uh, on this film as well, Xing Xiu Dong which is the director of a Chinese ghost story out of, out of many things. He's done tons and tons of things, including Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> so uh, Tony, uh, Ching Sidong, uh, I think he's um, credited as uh, Tony on, uh, on uh, various movies. Uh, and both of these movies are actually based on an actual kidnapping case in the late 50s known as the Free Wolves case. Uh, uh, the, the only thing I'm not clear about, I don't know what you think, uh, Josh, is uh, if it was the press that came up with uh, the name of Wolf's gang or if the gang themselves sort of uh, uh, made this uh, name more, uh, you know, uh, their own. You know, it, 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 it seems like a mixture of both depending on what movie, uh, movie mm-hmm. logic or movie, uh, movie you follow. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different variables that probably could have went into this because like the, you know, sentence to hang could have just been, you know, could have just been following a lot of kidnap and then influence, you know, putting their own influences into that film. You know what I'm saying? It's like I doubt that either film is like uh, incredibly accurate. I think kidnap seems to take the more uh, documentary style approach, mm-hmm. but you know, hey, it's Hong Kong, you know, so there's not, you know, a hundred percent, you know, chance that this is going to be. It's kind of like. Um, kind of like what they do with like American slasher, these low budget slasher films these days that are based upon true stories, but they essentially kind of, you know, take the story and then run with it, you Mm -hmm. know, and basically just embellish upon things. So there's really no telling. I'm sure if it was an infamous enough case that they had to stay fairly, you know, true to the story, but, you know, likely I think there's a little bit of everything involved, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I don't remember either if they signed their ransom note or notes with, uh, you know, regards to wolves or anything like that. Yeah. But uh, uh, regardless, this uh, this case left, as we said, the tycoon that was kidnapped and his son dead. And the trio was sentenced to hang. Actually, the fourth one, mm-hmm. I think, only served a sentence, uh, a jail sentence. And uh, 
these three was the last people in Hong Kong uh, to be given that sentence. Actually, actually, capital punishment was officially abolished um, way later, though, uh, in uh, in uh, April of 1993. But uh, this was uh, at the beginning, uh, late 50s or just at the beginning of the 60s, the very last people to be to be executed in Hong Kong by... Um, executed period or just by hanging? I, I think period, to be honest. It seems like that, mm. uh, according to the slight research that I can uh, do and find, it seems like uh, uh, capital punishment overall was... Uh, it was the last case of it, but it wasn't officially abolished until mm. 1993. One of those legal limbo cases kind of like it took a while for I don't know to abolish it I don't know how these things work to be honest but right. uh, but um, that is the slight background that applies uh, uh, a lot to both movies and uh, a little bit to this particular Shaw Brothers movie and on Shaw Brothers uh, what what's your like both experience and uh, take on Shaw Brothers as a whole I mean I'm a great fan and of what specifically if if uh, not everything. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, primarily, you know, just martial arts films, you know, kung fu titles and stuff like that. That's kind of, that was definitely one of the first things that I fell in love with in Asian cinema, you know, after discovering Bruce Lee and then finding out, oh, there's a whole lot more to this, you know, kung fu stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you eventually stumble upon the older films and uh, Shaw Brothers, and I'm definitely uh, a fan from that. I've seen a few, you know, non-martial arts films and stuff like uh, uh, Big Brother Ching, uh, The Tea House, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what is it? Uh, just popped in my head. Uh, we covered it recently on V Cinema. The, uh, dead bodies or corpse mania corpse mania yes 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 you know films like that and stuff and and, and a couple of odd titles here and there but yeah primarily martial arts cinema i mean it's a treasure trove really of many genres including including exploitation and uh you know the you, you got you know WIP movies, Bamba House of Dolls, and you know, and cra- crazy horror movies, Boxer's Omen, Seating of a Ghost, and and uh, Killer Snakes and all that. So, I mean, I, I think you know the, the, it's such a large library, obviously, and but uh, there's uh, I, I'm glad to have found out I didn't really know this until they started releasing DVDs that Shaw Brothers focused on so much, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, including putting their stars into every conceivable genre not just uh, costume uh, costume epics uh, and, and all that did, did you get into it at all before all of these remastered dvds came out in 2002 or that was the point you started yeah no it was before that like the early, late 90s and early 2000s i was collecting like you know bootleg dvds and stuff like that i have like three copies of uh Chinese super ninjas, aka five element ninjas, and yeah. stuff like that sitting around. You know, this one's got uh, the ending where the guy gets pulled in half and the blood spurts out. You know, this one, you know, doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have you at all, uh, because it's kind of your interest in exploitation, do, do, uh, have you explored what what the exploitation side to Show Brothers is like? Oh, or? yeah. Like, um, Boxer's Omen and stuff like that. In the early days of V Cinema, I think it was Boxer's Omen we covered. Uh, we sat there. We would used to do a video show, uh-huh. and we would sit there and uh, play a movie while you know fifteen or sixteen of us would sit in a chat window and basically talk the entire time. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, that was one of the movies that we covered. And uh, you know that, and uh, I think it was a Shaw Brothers film. The what's the movie with Danny Lee? 
turns into the melting monster, uh, Oily Oil, Maniac. Oily Maniac, yeah, you're right. This yeah, is a Show Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, another one there. I mean, yeah, there's just some completely insane movies mixed yeah. in with all that. Yeah. I mean, Show Brothers really was one of the you know first studios, at least noticeably, that you know featured nudity and a lot of exploitation mm-hmm. and made it common house and uh, and not really a scandalous thing after a while i mean uh, yeah. all these uh, li han chang erotic movies and uh, i mean they're, they're, they're not subtle about it it's not like oh my god cleavage you know <laughs> they, we, we're talking you know full-on softcore erotica violent movies and uh, and mm-hmm. uh, and their uh, shameless ex- shameless exploitation i mean they, they did that speaking of danny lee they did that movie bruce lee and i where yeah. Danny Lee plays uh, Bruce Lee, and I haven't seen yeah. it yet. It sounds classic, but also one does could leave a bitter taste in your mouth because Betty Tingpei is in it, and she's clearly not. You know, it doesn't come off when thinking about it and reading about it like some sort of tribute, just an excuse to, you know, have something weird and possibly wonderful and uh, and uh, naked on on screen uh, you know be- be- betty and bruce's life through the eyes of betty i guess or something like that so uh, uh but it's that but it does la- sound I-, I have nothing against shameless exploitation in a way you know i can be divided in that mm-hmm. regard like but man is it fun <laughs> exactly you know what i mean Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of two-faced in that regard, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, there's still so much to explore. But uh, and, and and Kidnap is one of those movies that you you never knew knew existed, uh, you know, either in the Shaw Brothers library. They did these kind of movies as well, true life crime movies, a la the category three uh, mm-hmm. of the '90s uh, trend. You know, they, right. this is an early example of that, but not one of those. Um, notorious examples because it's not very graphic and it's uh it's a it's an ordinary movie rather than an exploitation movie uh, as such so uh, mm-hmm. uh but yeah Shaw brothers and uh will be featured i think quite a bit on this weekend's list as we try and continue to examine their their exploitation history which started with our night of nights episode which features uh the, some of the first instances of nudity but nudity we weren't able to see because it's not in the film prints anymore <laughs> so it's one of those cases well it co- caused a scandal and it's nowhere to be found, found, found yeah we out, just so. deleted it yeah but um there you go um okay we're essentially at the review so let's uh i'll, I'll let you lead with uh, your first quick uh bite-sized uh, opinion of uh kidnap so take it away yeah, it's it's gonna be hard to sit there and uh, discuss the film, you know, without sitting there and going, "Oh, well, this happened in Sentence to Hang, this happened in Kidnap." But uh, it, it will be sort of the theme of this uh, show, right. the, the, <laughs> okay. the, the comparison between the movies. So don't worry about that. Yeah, that's basically what it is. It's like basic. You have the same film just done through two different prisms. Kidnap's kind of the um, you know '70s version with lots of. Uh, garishly beautiful colors you know things like lots of bright reds as per custom of like uh, the Shaw Brothers studio so it's a beautiful looking film it also takes the more of a documentary approach I mentioned that earlier you know you open with like uh, the gentleman giving you know this is the true story of what happened with four people they were doing this we've we've made this so that you don't follow up and da 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 you know it tries to bring that sort of class to it but uh each film is kind of similar in the fact that uh, you have characters who aren't entirely sympathetic doing some pretty awful things, but uh, 
you just kind of follow them and watch how shit hits the fan. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's basically the differences that kind of make each individual film, mm. you know, and you can see the drastic style changes over the, what, probably 15 years or something like that between the two of them. Mm. And, uh, which one do you ultimately prefer then if we're going to, uh, we, uh cut we're going to do that already? Yeah, yeah, no, not already, but it's a uh, first, first quick opinion of the mm-hmm. film. So, uh, you know, yeah. kidnap or sentence to hang, I guess. Ooh. Um, it is I'm gonna probably. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, each film, like I said, kind of offers something different. You kind of get a glimpse of two different um, areas. I mean, both films are both set in the past, you know, but each film kind of still basically resembles whatever period that they were actually shot in. So, you know, Sentence to Hang looks like a really looks like an early '90s Category Three movie. Or, you know, I guess it's 89, so it's a late 80s, but it looks like an early 90s Cat 3 movie. And then you got Kidnap, which looks like uh, a Shaw Brothers title, and they both bring that kind of aesthetic to it. And, you know, not even though I'm going to have to side with probably Sentence to Hang, I'm not going to say that, you know, entirely I prefer that aesthetic, because mm-hmm. I think that, you know, those Shaw Brothers films look amazing. And, you know, Kidnap to me is probably the more stylish film. But. I think uh, ultimately the characters in Sentence to Hang kind of ultimately ring a little bit truer to me. Right. Whereas Kidnap is kind of, um, in that same documentary style, it's a very technical movie. You know, this happens, then that happens, then this happens, that mm-hmm. happens. Whereas Sentence to Hang, it's more like, holy fuck, we just killed this guy, oh god! You know, it's like people are panicking and it's more of an uh, emotional film. Oh I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Whereas Kidnap is not. I think that's a fair point, and I mean, I, 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 I gave it some thought to like what if it's lazy that uh, the, the fact that Sentence to Hang is so similar to Kidnap. I mean, it's a very, very, or if it's due to the facts of the case being so clearly laid out that it's inevitable to right. make it any other way. And I, I'm, I'm be, be, because Sentence to Hang to bring it in a little bit is still solid in my book so, and so is Kidnap um, I, I have no clear answer to what I just spoken about but I don't mind it you know that the movies are very similar uh, even kind of shot uh, by shot or beat by beat but uh, uh, you know I give Kidnap the edge in, in my opinion because I think it's a somewhat edgier movie uh, that it feels like it pushes more and and uh, and that has a lot to do with uh, Chingong's very uh, you know aggressive style. It's an aggressively stylish movie, uh, really. I mean, yeah. you don't see that with Shaw Brothers. Uh, and uh, in that way, it's if we want to talk it, which movie is more frightening, uh, even though they're not structured as horror movies, I think Kidnap uh, affects me a little bit more in that regard. I would but, agree. Uh, but but I'm also kind of shamelessly weak for you know over over the top over the edge style uh, d- d- depending on the movie of course but you know it starts early on in Kidnap when you know th- there's a spinning fish eye cam essentially right, that opening shot with uh, distressing screaming you know <laughs> the wolves are after me help and uh, you know grainy black and white and over dramatic narration you know sets the tone for the movie that is literally almost screaming at us mm-hmm. you know here's the movie 
<laughs> so and uh, I don't know. It, it it seems comedic talking about it, but it's, but uh, it's yeah, not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think it actually uh, shoots itself in the foot in that uh, regard. Uh, uh, there's room, of course, to leave us uh, in movies, uh, depending on depending on the movie, to leave us alone quietly with our thoughts as the movie plays out. But uh, I don't know. I, I it breaks up in this case the what could be sort of the monotone nature of Shaw Brothers at times. Mm. Because even though there are classic movies out there, some of the classic movies are really kind of stoic. And I'm glad to see a, a Shaw Brothers movie where the director was essentially, you know, uh, you know a precursor to a, to a wild Choi Hawk almost. You know, think the blade with, you know, rolling with the camera and just putting the camera everywhere and, and uh, having extreme light uh, filters all over the place and extreme reds and all of that. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's an amusement ride, partly, and, and Ching, Kong, Ching Kong is intent on making, making that. But I, it doesn't take me out of the uh, story about these characters, <laughs> lowly characters that are pushed, uh, probably have been pushed a lot, but ha- are pushed one too many times, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, going into characters again, did you, like, feel it was realistic the portrayal that uh, you know uh, that these characters can and will hatch a kidnapping plan that they're so kind of desperate and so pushed mm-hmm. over you know i think it it does and it doesn't in ways whereas you have these characters who are you know not they're obviously not really like criminals you know mm-hmm. from the get-go even though they do these moderate little scams and try to get girls and such like that but to go to the links of murder and kidnapping, the jump is fairly quick. The only thing that I found that kind of saved it, and I noticed it upon like my second watching of the film, was that uh, the Loli character is basically explained to have like a military past. Mm-hmm. So you know the you know, extreme planning that they go to, like where that's what kind of separates the movies for me is like kidnap. All of the characters are much more on their game, you know. They kind of have more of a knowledge of what they're doing, and they're not just like haphazardly running into this. They're kind of you know well thought out, you know, for the most part. You know, the the sequence where the they kidnap uh, the second the father or whatever the second gentleman basically, mm-hmm. and they drive him around blindfolded, going in circles and stuff like that, yeah. and just trying to trick him up so he doesn't know where they're going, and then they put him in the box, you know. It's very, very well thought out, and it's very much more of like a heist movie yeah. type of mentality. Whereas in you know, the thing I liked about Sentence to Hang was it's like these guys are pretty much they're not goofballs as like a comedy sense, but they're goofballs as in these guys really don't know what they're doing. They're mm-hmm. kind of flying by the seat of their pants, and like I enjoy more of that. I think it seems more realistic, but had. Yeah, I think it makes sense in each individual film, but I think it's just a preference issue for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, yeah, actually, good good points. I never thought of it. I actually missed the reference to Lolit uh, having a military background, but uh, it, it certainly it's at the very beginning. Like I think when uh, one of the characters are introducing, oh, he has a uh, he's a he just got out of the military or something like that. Right, that's right. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Neva movies kind of linger on the fact that we, we are down now, we are lowly, we are pushed around, you know. They, they, there's no scene where they are, like, you know, you know, buried in shit, literally, or anything like that. But, they, you know, this did happen, and presumably some, 
what's documented is uh, you know somewhat in the film including the fact that they were of the class that they were in life probably i mean uh, uh, may- maybe uh, maybe down to the profession that fun may shang has in the movie <laughs> and even though i probably uh minimized it earlier when i was talking about it but yeah the Probably, you know, they probably did have to kind of stick with the facts at least a little bit with like, especially with kidnap being relatively closer to the actual, you know, happening. Because, yeah, it had to be a pretty tremendous case for them to be the last people who were Mm -hmm. actually hanged or, you know, executed within Hong Kong, you know, and for like, even though this is in 74 and this supposedly happened in the 50s or whatever. So probably 60 years, I mean, 20 years later, you have... uh, people still talking about it and everything like that so it had to be a pretty serious thing so you know and and uh yeah exactly the, the, the basics are probably well covered mm-hmm. but, but but if they actually had the various professions that they had they had oh, for instance yeah. if fan mei sheng was a aspiring uh, makeup artist in movies that actually was stuck with uh, applying makeup to strippers and applying <laughs> uh, applying pubic hair to strippers which yeah. apparently in the I... 70s was a required uh, thing <laughs> For I guess so. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, and neither movie plays this as a comedic thing. It's just mm-hmm. what Fan Mei Sheng right. is 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 doing. And uh, this is life. This is what he does. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on uh, all this is found out during uh, sort of character introductions, and you know what Ching Gong is apparently interested in doing is not only split screen when mm-hmm. doing these interac- uh, introductions but also essentially keeping you know small squares or rectangles yeah. around characters and following them around on the screen like that you know so we mainly mm-hmm. got black screen with a little box that follows the you know the head mm-hmm. of the actor so yeah. it I, I don't know i i i find it funny that 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 stylish experimentation was there uh, not necessarily you know a great fit but uh, it, it's curious how this uh, veteran uh, was thinking at least in terms of this film i the 14 amazons is nothing like that uh, and uh, mm. he made movies like the 12 gold medallions i'm not sure that as anything akin to this in style either but uh, you, you never know it may be one of the few directors that sure that uh, got to start his stuff you know uh, got got to achieve a freedom at least in, at least when kidnap came around and they uh, and no one felt that it betrayed the material uh, to to ro- go really all out with uh, post production mm. uh, post production trickery like that. Yeah, but it's but curious. I've never seen it before. Yeah, especially from a Shaw Brothers film. Yeah, M- moving on a little bit to Lolita, who obviously his motivation to you know obviously um, pursue this uh, kidnapping ransom scheme is after after his little scam uh, dealing with uh, him uh, playing rich in front of Hu Chin's character, the female lead in this one, when that is uh, revealed by uh, the son of the boss that, uh, you know, you're not rich, you you, you work at a low position at our company and all of that. Uh, you know, obviously that sets, uh, uh, sets him on that path. And uh, what I'm getting at actually is uh, the fact that one of the main criticisms that criticisms I have against kidnap is that the fact that the female characters are very much a second uh, a second priority here. It almost seems mm. like Hu Chin 
is here because she she had a sexy image at, at Shaw's. No, uh, she she didn't, she didn't appear nude, I think, but she had a sexy image at Shaw's, and she got inserted to actually sell the movie a little bit, you know, featuring Lolit, featuring Fama Sheng, featuring the love interest Hu Chin, and you know, it, it doesn't. It, it, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a movie dressed up with a female character, but it doesn't really okay. utilize it well, uh, despite. Ching Gong doing his very best to make us feel uh, that she's part of the movie, uh, especially towards the end uh, when she, you know, shit happens to her and then some. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that was a frustrating part uh, uh, in terms of she's almost She's almost forgettable, you know, in oh. the role until the very end of the film. Yeah. She finally actually enters into the plot. Seemed like they escalated that role a bit in Sentence to Hang, but mm-hmm. even there, I don't think that the film you know, heavily relies on that character, or that she's very you know, well developed. No, uh, and uh, it actually runs through uh, both movies, oddly enough, the, the lack of uh, female character development. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, on Lolita, I mean, even at this stage in his career, which is not early Shaw Brothers, he's been at the company for about uh, eight or ten years, but you know, very assured presence already. I mean, I am one very huge, one of many that are huge fans of Lolita, one of those guys that could just be dropped into any movie and be sort of instantly memorable. Right. And and, and you need, for this character, this main character, the guy who heads this guy, sort of a tough face, and Lolita being cast as bad guys throughout his career, you know, it's a, it's a perfect face for mm-hmm. really for, uh, for for this one. The, the face and the character that is willing to go the distance and then some, probably you know, and, right. uh, and the, uh, a charismatic leader as well. And uh, you know, the game face of evil is always incredible in uh, in Low Late. You know, <laughs> uh, he uh, he uses charisma for sure. Yeah, like you know, you throw that guy even in like the worst movie possible, and he's still gonna damn well make it a pretty you know decent role regardless of you know the actual movie itself and even uh, you know despite me saying that he was typecast as a villain you know whenever mm-hmm. he did get a chance to do something else you know king, king boxer being a great example mm-hmm. of five fingers of death um, as he was released as you know he 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 responded i mean he was mm-hmm. never kind of destined to be you know the super popular romantic lead or anything, but he always responded. Uh, I think yeah, whatever you plopped him into. So uh, yeah. uh, he, he seemed to like being typecast uh, though because he gave it his all. I mean, I, I can't think of a movie where you we see Lolly sort of sleepwalking through. Uh, right. Through, uh, I mean, I saw him in. Uh, there's this, like a kind of crappy flick called uh, The Deadly Kick. Mm-hmm. You know, which I really did not like at all. But, you know, it has, I'm looking at it now, it's like a 2.9 out of 10 on the uh, IMDb. And, uh, but even still, even there, you know, he's given it all, his all. And, you know, he still has a you know, major presence within the film. Mm-hmm. You know, just that kind of guy. Um, what, one problem I had with the movie, but thankfully that got sort of um, erased, was that whenever it felt a bit slow, we were jolted by Ching Gong's direction uh, through mm-hmm. through sound and editing and stuff like that so I, I never thought this two hour movie it's pretty long was uh, ever boring I thought w- whenever you got into a sort of a dull spot you know he Ching Gong said boom 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 right. you know and, and that boom 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 that's re- that could be 
connected to the editing too because uh, mm-hmm. you know for instance the scene where they after they've held the boss in the box for a while they need to take him out and uh, threaten him a little bit so mm-hmm. they shine you know a light in his face and then uh, keep him at uh, uh, threaten him with a knife uh, lolita's behind him threatening him with a knife and that sequence starts so goddamn quick you know doom 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 and uh I, you know i've always admired that i i i like being uncomfortable when with uh sounds you know with jarring sounds is uh something i in particularly in older movies and uh, even older japanese movies that i've looked at on podcast on fire you know the jarring the jarring ambient scores and the jarring ambient sounds that come out of nowhere i it's not akin to obviously um i'm not talking uh jump scares or anything but uh, yeah. you know jarring loud sounds uh of uh of, of whatever they came up with that foley, foley studio you know <laughs> creaks and uh there, there's some stuff in kidnap that i like in that regard uh that um that i don't know it, it's a part of the reason why i prefer this as i said i i feel comfortable with the visual and uh oral experience uh audio mm-hmm. the audio experience if you will yeah, I think it's, like I said, it's certainly the more stylish film in almost every regard, you know. Mm. It's just an amazing-looking film, for sure, you know. Yeah, it obviously doesn't add that every Shaw Brothers movie would look good, but they, they obviously had yeah. craftsmen at uh, at the studio. And, oh, uh, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, they, they, were, they were an empire and all of that. Lots of on-location um, on, uh, shooting in this, too. You yeah. Know, and it, stuff but, in the but, but, but some clever indoor sets as well. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, the scene that is referenced at the beginning of the film obviously turns up uh, at the um, towards the end of the film as well when one of the the fourth kidnapper wants to get away from uh, right. from the scam they're chasing him and I think they built because uh, the hill that they sort of drive up to and then down onto the road the hill looks a bit fake but it's still a pretty clever looking indoor set to me it looks mm-hmm. like they built a little stretch of road. To yeah. chase to chase the actor uh, to chase the actor around because it was night uh, on because it was night time as well so they could have a mm-hmm. controlled environment I mean Shaw Brothers had that space right. anyway so and 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 they could so uh, it, it's fun in various uh, kung fu movies now that uh, we have uh, uh, HD and all uh, you, you can see in the indoor sets that are set in uh, daylight and you see skies and all that you can actually see the uh, Ru- uh, the sort of uh, lines in the ceiling, you know, where they've uh, you know glued on glued the sky uh, <laughs> onto the ceiling. You know, you can see it's sort quite... of the glue, the uh, yeah. not, uh, not the glue, but you know the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. I love that. Uh, that's uh, that's endearing. Yeah, but uh, they, yeah. you know, m- make no mistake about it. They they knew what they were doing. Uh, oh yeah. Just a li- little bit on editing again. I-, I was wondering if you remember this moment. I, I got curious uh, about sort of Chingong's way of thinking as an editor as well. They, when the sort of boss uh, boss of the gambling den finds out that uh, mm-hmm. he's probably on to one of the kidnappers and now he's going to blackmail the kidnappers, they they have a confrontation with him out in the open outside and yeah. there, there's a uh, clip from a gun thrown on the ground and then a quick cut to Lolit with obviously the clip and the gun mm-hmm. now you know now together and all of that and and it seems like the shots missing here by intent deliberate right. shots missing to make it sort of a confusing fast time as well you know uh, that the character that were characters that were involved couldn't really 
uh, interpret uh, all the facets of the situation and all of a sudden <clears> boom <throat> i got a gun yeah. you don't and I, I i don't know if you remember that or not but i i like i like that choice actually it was not sloppy in my in my eyes i think that's probably one of the better uh sequences in the film actually i really like that bit you know where it keeps getting played back and forth between the two of them and then like you say it ends with that dramatic you know oh yeah you're missing your clip really and then boom yeah, yeah he's got the gun it's like, and, yeah, you don't and, know what's going on. And it's not on. a lazy, shaky cam style mm-hmm. moment. Uh, it's very thought out, uh, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, and who who knows how much the son, uh, Ching Sudong, had to do with that because he is the credited action director on the film mm-hmm. as well. So a father-son working relationship that started uh, started around about this time, I think. Um, um, and then with the editing also, the, you know, I'm kind of curious about the... Uh, inclusion of like during every murder sequence basically there's a shot of a train that goes whizzing by did you notice that uh yeah i did notice that it, it keeps getting included and i just uh i couldn't really piece it together what that would possibly mean but just a you know a little something else i guess a little bit of chaos in there i mean they they, they never shot away uh from uh showcasing blood at sure but it was not the case mm-hmm. of uh no, okay uh, we we want to be we want to be loud but we need to conceal what we're doing it's not that so uh yeah some sort of symbolism that uh, i couldn't tie together yeah. you know i don't know train moving on tracks yeah. maybe these characters steadily progressing towards their you know ultimate end you know mm-hmm. with each thing they're sitting there paving their own way towards mm-hmm. doom is kind of, I guess, what I was thinking, but you know, there's really no telling. Well, exactly, and and on that uh, on that theme of doom, obviously, uh, uh, talking uh, some of the things towards the end, and, and definitely the ending. I mean, uh, spoilers they they are sentenced to hang in this movie as well. <laughs> but uh, you know, some of the scenes leading up to them being caught, uh, uh, one in particular that is a highlight in both movies actually, is uh, when. Fan Mei Sheng's, uh, what I assume his son or daughter, actually calls mm-hmm. the police on him, and he's actually, uh, he's actually contemplating. You know, he he's threatening him with a butcher knife, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's co- come that far. You know, that he's willing to threaten his uh, his kid with a yeah. butcher knife. You know, uh, he 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 doesn't do anything. Uh, I should state, but it's a really frightening prospect and a really affecting one that he mm-hmm. he finds his uh, kid having dialed the police because this kid has made a very mature decision, you know, scared and this for the best for me and for mom and for his, uh, his uh, if he, he had any uh, brothers or sisters as well. It's, it's a really frightening, real, uh, not little moment, but it's a pretty big moment. Uh, and, and, and on big moments, I think, Briefly, I think we'll discuss mel- melodrama more in the sentence to hang review. Mm-hmm. But but I think as a s- s- small comparison leading into that, uh, m- my opinion on that, I think melodrama works better in the latter movie. Doesn't work as well here. Here's the mm-hmm. melodramatic loud scenes aren't as good, uh, probably right. because it isn't performed by as good uh, actors. Right, uh, I, I would agree with that too. And there's more emphasis, I feel, in Sentence to Hang upon the death row sequences later on in the film. I think that that, that takes up considerably, I don't know, they probably take up around the same amount of time, but there just seems to be more emphasis on the uh, characters and, uh, you know, emotions that go into that. Yeah, that crashing down type of drama mm-hmm. it doesn't feel as, uh, it's a bit Ill, ill-pitched in uh, right. Kidnapped. 
Having said that, the prison sets are eerie as hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the final trek to the gallows. You know, the sh- just a shot of, you know, the the noose in, in frame and the, the title Kidnap over it, which opens the movie. That is just... And it's, I think it's little mm. red as well, the noose. That is just yes. precious stuff. I think that was, that was so eerie and... Creepy. Simple as hell, probably. You know, yeah. Bring out the red light, shoot that, moving on. Dark room... Throw up a, a noose up there, put a light on it. Yeah, stain it with some blood. Mm. Creepy. And 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 the hanging scenes are, are are eerie too. I mean, they 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 don't sort of push them for exploitation's sake. I mean, mm. one the one of the gang isn't even shown being uh, being hung. Uh, right. We we see sort of the the longest you know hanging sequence is going to be the final one, which is uh, uh, Lolita's uh, character being hung and him taking resentment into death uh, some take regret into death he takes mm. resentment into death but uh yeah it it's uh it, it's they are very very effective without them having to set up lot you know three four scenarios with stuntmen having to go through all of that uh, yeah. you know, they, they it's uh it's just matter of fact you know mm-hmm. the, these obviously this type of capital punishment is supposed to go fast and uh, they do but it's mm. eerie it's an eerie punishment you know if talking you know the reality of it all it's a very eerie punishment no wonder characters who seem to have appeared strong in the sight of the gallow you know break down and just you know go go nuts or or, or some right. some in the case of fan mei sheng's character i thought this was kind of frightening he he seemed to be very interested in the particulars of why are you attaching weights to me or right. why it's just to make sure you know it goes fast oh how interesting and then yeah. one of the last beats from him is, you know, he he knows what he's done and he says essentially, we'll see you in hell. And he feels pleased that that's where he's going. So it was no real regret. Mm. Fan Mei Sheng was a bit more evil that than you actually initially think when looking at him. You know, right, he, much he, more than in Sentence to Hang. That definitely. Yeah, that was, that's one of the big differences in the film is the difference between that character mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but um what else do you have any other notes on this uh, this final uh, final section of the film mm, not really i mean i kind of said you know the important parts i think it's more um i wouldn't say factual but it does kind of ring of like a, um you know this happened then this happened then that happened mm-hmm. you know it's very quick and in succession like that and uh yeah, I think it's uh, definitely a, it's a good film for sure, and uh, certainly stylish. Certainly far more stylish than a lot of films I've seen from mm. that time and era. Yeah, watch it loud, people. You know, yes. I, I think uh, that that would be kind of a cool experience to to watch it uh, loud because it uh, will it will go quite loud, loud at points, especially you know the jarring the jarring scenes of the train all of a sudden during during the sequences you described. And at two hours and you know, I mean, it's really, it does kind of breeze by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, one, um, I have a few few more mind notes. What, okay. what, one aspect that I thought was sloppy was the, the fourth character, the one that actually starts mm. the ball, ball rolling with the police. They really all too briefly explain why, what happened to him, why he wasn't hung. Yeah. In one sentence, just before the end credits. I thought that was really sloppy. They, I think what they said, essentially, he got his sentence, then disappeared after having served the sentence. Okay. <laughs> and, and I rewound and looked at 
what happened after he essentially started to be interrogated by police? Well, it's not in the movie anymore. They just drop him in, uh, entirely. So I, I thought that was a really sloppy piece of uh, uh, piece of storytelling, and it seemed like they thought they found themselves out just before the end credits, and they inserted a line just to make sure they they covered their asses. Uh, but uh, I, 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 mm, that, that that was quite sloppy, I think. Yeah, his character seems kind of like. Uh... It's the it's the compulsive gambler out of the bunch, yeah. the really weak one out of the bunch. He's, yeah, he's the simpleton. Like I think I made a note, and basically, like movies like this where people get together and commit crimes and stuff like that. There's, it's kind of like the character from uh, like the mentally handicapped guy from like Last House on the Left or uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, movies like that where they always have that one character in the midst of all the scumbags who kind of, you know, well, I don't know, guys. That kind of person, he is that character for this mm-hmm. film. Even though he's not, he doesn't really have an excuse for the things that he does, but yeah, he's the weakling. He's the one that's going to inevitably lead to bad things. And um, three more brief notes. I At the beginning, there's, uh, to me, it seems like they used real news clippings from the actual mm-hmm. crime because the, the mugshots in the paper are not the actors. Yeah, I was going to say something about that. Yeah, it wasn't really, uh, they didn't look identical. I was like, is that, is that like, Lee? What's going on here? But yeah. So uh, that had some, you know, uh, uh, obviously a realistic uh, tint to it all and kind of an eerie one too. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you really want to put yourself into the mind of the movie and uh, in the right mindset, it's kind of, kind of eerie. Right. What uh, one of the few uh, uh, nude scenes in the movie is, is actually uh, quite quite amusing. I mean, it, it it's a set at a, at a strip club uh, again. Fan Mei Sheng works as uh, uh, the main st- sticker boy, I guess, uh, gluer of hair uh, sticker. Hair yeah. sticker, yeah. And it's so amusing to me that the the people attending these clubs, you know, businessmen and all that, they they are so sex starved or easily amused that they go amok. At strip clubs, you know, even having binoculars in front in in front row, looking at the strip <laughs> in front of me, you know, it's always amusing to me. Like, that. you know, boobs are nice and all, and women are beautiful and all, but you you don't you don't turn into an animal that easily. At least, at least I don't. <laughs> it's like the wolf from the Looney Tunes cartoons, with exactly. his tongue sticking out. Auga. So uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe it was they didn't have the internet back in those days. Man. No, I, yeah, well, I, yeah I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> it's like the, you wanted to see some pubic hair, you know. So you sit there and you go to the strip club where they got some woman with wearing a wig down her shorts. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you think they paid for um, the usage of uh, what is it? The Surfaris wipeout because it's I in the movie. Even notice it. I yeah, didn't even notice it. Yeah, it's in the movie. I think it's during uh, one of the, maybe during the first or second kidnapping. Uh, it's uh, during a sort of a car driving scene, but uh, it's in there. Wipeout. I wonder and, uh, how that works on the re-releases and stuff like that. For yeah, DVDs. well, well, well it's re- re- it was re-released in Hong Kong, so either they didn't check or no one, that they needed to clear it or no one noticed. But the Shaw Brothers has tons of stolen music oh, in yeah. them. And, and uh, God bless them, because if you steal from the great and put it to great use, your movie becomes great, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and a final note on 
that the style that I've been going on about, you know, the jarring camera work and everything. I mean, obviously, zoom-ins were a staple at Shaw's. You know, Chang Che mm-hmm. was really masturbatory in that regard with his zoom-ins, oh, yeah. you know, in and out. And that sort of n- not zoom-in from a static camera, but almost like the camera is put in a position and zoomed in at the same time, you know, a sweeping mm-hmm. zooming motion. That was all over Chang Che's movies, for instance. But it seems like Ching Gong was still more active with lots of handheld camera and again jarring motions and uh, and sound uh, you know the editing and what have you so uh, it, it's it's uh, it still feels different despite uh, not all uh, short movies being static uh, right. uh, in particular Chang Chia's movies I mean it's, it seems like whenever Hong Kong uh, cinematographers uh, or cinematographers uh, working in Hong Kong cinema discovered the zoom they were going to use that motherfucker <laughs> you know I remember all you know if we move into the 80s uh, you know one of the scenes in uh, Jackie Chan's The Young Master when uh, the um, uh, Chen Feng the, finds the uh, prostitute at the martial arts school and confronts Jackie you know there's there's also nauseating usage of zoom in that uh, dramatic sequence <laughs> you know whenever teacher says something you know in with the camera and out <laughs> and in but I like it it's fun it's intense yeah uh, okay I think we've done with one movie we've hinted at Sentence to Hang and what we thought of it but we're gonna give it um, uh, give it some more thought and also because it is the first local movie to receive the category for rating we are gonna go over the rating systems a little bit again as we did in episode one of this week in Sleaze. so Thanks for sticking with us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and uh, I guess from 1974 to 1989 we go to Sentenced to Hang. The same movie, different decade, a new rating. And uh, the plot is the same plot, really. (laughs) But but instead, the threesome is uh, Tony Longafai, Big Tony, which is the low lead character. Kent Cheng, great veteran Kent Cheng, which is therefore the Fan Mei Cheng character. And... Elvis Choyers in the Tung Lam oh. role. And uh, the fourth one joining in of the kidnapping being uh, an actor I'm not too familiar with, but uh, Hong Kong Movie Database credit him as Yu Kwok Lok. Mm-hmm. And the beloved interest is uh, Carrie Um from City on Fire, Naked Killer. The undeveloped love interest. <laughs> <laughs> so as we said earlier in the show here, Sentence to Hang is the first Hong Kong movie to receive the category 3 rating and like many 90s movies that followed it's based on real life crime and you know, that became a trend Kidnap wasn't part of a trend really as far as I know it uh, just was a real life uh, uh, depiction of a real life crime but uh, Sentence to Hang just like Kidnap is way more held back in the gore and exploitation department than the likes of Dr. Lamb and the Untold Story in fact, I think, 
and uh, I don't know if you agree or not, that it probably got its free mainly via the full frontal female nudity during one scene in the film in the beginning and sentence to hang rather than violence. Yeah, to be honest, that's about the only thing I can really think of. I mean, that and that in the just subject matter. Like, this is dark stuff, but yeah. Yeah, maybe, but still, it's pr- pretty it's subdued. Be, it's not in your face right. violent or anything, you know. Yeah. Uh, and definitely not gory. It's more no. me- messy in the situation rather than messy gory or anything. Yeah, so like that. when the ears cut off, we don't actually even see anything, you know. We just no. see it later on, a dismembered ear, but it's not even, like, graphic or bloody or anything mm. like that. You know, it's just yeah. prosthetics. Exactly. But it, it, it indeed was still the first one. And uh, let's repeat a little bit from episode one in terms of uh, what the ratings are and uh, in Hong Kong cinema. So... On November 10th, 1988, under the movie screening ordinance cap 392, the Hong Kong motion picture rating system was established to provide parents of minors uh, the clear guidance of what to expose their children to and what not to expose them to. Uh, The ratings are issued by the Television and Entertainment Licensing Authority, uh, and uh, usually that's uh, shortened to TELA. TLA, and initially provided three levels of ratings. Category 1, suitable for all ages. Category 2, not suitable for children. And Category 3, persons aged 18 and above only. And that obviously can, uh, when talking from an American perspective, for instance, Category 3 usually is is not necessarily all rated movies in Mm. comparison. It's usually more NC-17 rated uh, movies. Not in the case of this one, but other famous movies from the Category 3 canon, the Category 3 genre that it really became. I mean, uh, I don't necessarily think all people realized that it was a rating necessarily because it became such a symbol, but that's not the fault of the people. That's how companies decided to push because Mm -hmm. the triangle with the 3 in it looks damn cool. Right. So you can can utilize that. I mean, I even saw on... On UK tape releases, they had a free with claw marks through <laughs> You know. Cool. So, yeah, it did kind of look cool, actually. And, uh, <laughs> but you also released, they released movies with tons of frees all over the cover that wasn't even rated category free to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, it kind of was exploited, that rating as well. But uh, uh, the ratings were actually amended in 1985, and two sub-ratings were added within the category two which was Category 2A, not suitable for children, Category 2B, not suitable for young persons and children. So, And, and it's a good thing 2A and 2B are, are there now because th- there are some really heinous mm. Category 2B movies out there, uh, actually, that borderlines on free but not entirely. You know, violence, at least maybe from a 90s perspective, for instance, that you know could be pretty heavy-duty but not be free. If uh, it was, you know, violence that featured a lot of swearing and uh, triad uh, and triad depiction in a certain way, that meant a free probably. But uh, mm-hmm. two two B is a pretty cool rating uh, actually. The, the, yeah. the likes of uh, Nobody's Hero that we reviewed um, did a commentary for on the podcast on Fire Network. I don't think that was uh, that was before even the amendment, and that was there for uh, category two. And that movie is fucking violent. <laughs> So uh, there you go. Uh, if you if you have some VCDs and stuff uh, at home, you might may have spotted spotted that none of the above ratings are on some 
it just has a text saying OAT one, two, or three on 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 VCD or or DVD, of course. And this stands for, out of all things, obscene articles tribunal. And and as I said in episode one, that sounds like movie court, you know, ratings court. Uh, these classes, rather than category three, are, are described this way. Class one, neither obscene nor indecent. Class two, indecent. Class three, and this is the obscene. best one, obscene. <laughs> and uh, I've never seen the obscene one, the free one, which, uh, you know, I only have a theory that they might slap that on actual hardcore pornography released on uh, on home video. But I, you know, not having seen it, that's just a, a theory. But uh, they, they are for movies that weren't uh, weren't uh, classified uh, back in the day and are aren't uh, didn't go through a reclassification via the category uh, categories you know so for home video purposes they got that guideline instead uh, the OAT guidelines mm-hmm. because there, there are some pretty great movies out there that uh, for instance R2 and uh, class 2 but in reality are some pretty pretty heavy duty category freeze in content so um so the two is not you know at all the pussy class uh, <laughs> or, or chicken shit class it, 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 oh, you know you know it, it, it is the pussy class in a way but uh, <laughs> that's another discussion so um yeah um sentence to hang is directed by taylor wong and my brief notes on here he's certainly not one of my favorite directors but still looking at the filmography he has several movies that i think are solid that i don't mind and are great as well you know ranging from his uh, Shaw brothers uh, uh, energy bolt uh, fantasy buddha's palm starring Derek yi it's fantastic fun and uh, he did spiritual love with uh, chai fat and sherry chung and whenever Chai Fat and Cherry Chung got together on screen, that was always gold. Really one of the great, great on-screen couples. So they co-starred in An Autumn's Tale, Once a Thief, and even as far back as uh, the story of Vu Viet, when they were both um, untested actors, directed by An Hoi. Uh, Taylor Wong also did the rich and famous tragic hero uh, saga. Yeah. There were two movies there, but they are connected. And actually... Wild Tragic Hero is the second movie. It was, it was actually released first because uh, the the story about it is that it had more action, so they released that first. And Rich and Famous didn't have as much action and re- was released as a prequel. And uh, this co-stars uh, Andy Lau, Alex Mann, and uh, Danny Lee. And a uh, pretty solid movie. So, uh, mm. I mean, I, I don't mind Taylor Wong, uh, but I, I, I can still say it's not one of my, you know... Ooh, here's here's a guy for the director series at the podcast on Fire Nerd. But that that's probably not gonna happen. But uh, uh, so that's my brief view on him. Do, do you have anything to say about Taylor? Wong? I've I've only seen like the rich and famous and tragic hero films, and uh, I guess I agree with whatever producers decided on that because I'm really not a big fan of rich and famous work. But I do kind of like tragic heroes. So. Yeah, it has a grenade launcher action <laughs> exactly. with uh, Chai Fat and Andy Lau, uh, Andy Lau. And that's fucking fantastic, that action ending. <laughs> classic, uh, classic uh, uh, 80s stuff. Uh, I have them sitting around, but I haven't watched them in a long time. And when I did watch them, it was during my initial, you know, gotta find more John Woo type movies stage, you know, so... That's a pretty yeah. good candidate for, you know, yeah. um, if, at least if you're looking for action. I mean, if I look at it now, I'm, 
I'll probably think it's a bit more me- a bit too melodramatic movie, but god damn it, it's a fun movie. Alex Mann is evil personified, just killing left and right, <laughs> you know, any characters, including main ones yeah. and their families and families of families, if he could. And Alex Mann chewing scenery and having the time of his life, that is, you know, the other main memory of Tragic Hero. Yeah, fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, Alex uh, Mann and his famous growl. I, I always thought he growled when he spoke uh, on uh, in Hong Kong cinema, in Hong Kong movies, you know. <sighs> it was that uh, harsh, uh, uh, growly type of voice. Uh, that's And I don't know if that was Alex Mann, but that did turn up in so many movies. Enough movies, rather. I hope that was him dubbing himself and having a blast dubbing himself as well. So, uh, so yeah, that's good fun. But sentence to hang then you you've alluded to that you know we obviously talked of what movie do we do we prefer but what do you want to lead with in terms of your view on sentence to hang despite as far as what to lead with on uh sentence to hang um i guess the cast would be kind of an interesting to start with because i mean whereas you know kidnap did have the awesome low lee i wasn't as familiar with that cast Mm -hmm. you know not a lot of heavy hitters, but, you know, Sentence to Hang, you've got Ken Ching, Ton Lung Kapai, and uh, Elvis Choi. And it's like, wow, you know, can you get a better cast than that? It's, uh, it, you know, everybody has some certain, some memory of, you know. All three of these guys. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, you've got Prison on Fire, what is it, Police Story, and friggin' Erotic Ghost Story. I mean, there's these three guys are so immensely just been everywhere in Hong Kong cinema during the uh, 80s and 90s mm-hmm. and 2000s, really. But, yeah, it's like an amazing cast. Yeah, and uh, we, we, we obviously we, we'll talk more cast, but I, I want to leave with the fact that now if you watch both movies, uh, uh, listeners, you'll you realize that after a while, Sentence to Hang really feels like a shot-for-shot remake, uh, mm. especially the second half. Oh, but yeah. it's not a bad thing. Because no. it speaks to a skill in Taylor Wong that he can replicate and not come off firmly as using someone else's plotted out vision. I think yeah. that's a, he, he escapes that, you fucking turd, I kind of like this anyway. It's not like the Psycho remake. Or no, exactly. Or no, no, it's not that shot for shot, though. But, uh, the, the, you know, every scene that happens in particular, like the last mm-hmm. third of the movie is like, it's a, it, it's a mapped out almost exactly right. like uh, Kidnapper. Not just the uh, subtle beats, it's the same scene. Right, <laughs> it really is, yeah. Just skimming through it today, skimming through both films back to back. And uh, yeah, the only difference is like you have certain scenes that are placed in different parts or whatever. Sure. Like uh, the sequence with uh, the, you know, Kent Chang's character, Fatty or whatever. Just the part where he uh, stumbles upon, I think it's his son or whatever, and the gentleman smacks him around for, you know, don't touch him, you know, he'll you'll be poor too or what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sequence is in both films, but like one, in one sequence it takes place at the, towards the back end of the film, one it takes place towards the start of the movie and stuff like that, but basically the same exact movie is just, you know, structured differently, mm-hmm. you know. But both are solid productions, though, mm-hmm. per, uh, produ- oh. uh, budget-wise. And I mean, uh, you should really mention a little bit about the behind-the-scenes behind the personnel. It's produced by Stephen Shui, who I think is one of the producers behind 3D Sex and Sam, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> uh, uh, he's still in the game, you know. And uh, Shui, uh, Shu or Shui, 
also co-wrote the movie with uh, Johnny Mac, the director of Long Arm of the Law 1. The rest of the series was uh, Michael Mac related. Uh, but they're all done under the Johnny Mac productions banner include uh, those movies and, and this one and it usually meant a solid showcase production wise in hong kong cinema uh, the long arm of the law movies all you know all are fantastic in their own right the uh, long arm of the law being still the better one and kind of like the sole movie i think johnny mac ever directed which is a shame because it's so great mm. uh, they were also behind to be number one the uh, biopic of uh, but the gangster Limpy Ho, played by uh, Ray Loy, didn't really enjoy that. And um, they also did the two Lord of East China Sea movies. Uh, didn't really enjoy those either. Uh, Robert, I never finished the first because those were not bad, but they were not my kind of movie. I'm not really uh, at all times the epic movie kind of guy, you know. I'm as great as, you know, you know Godfather-esque movies are. Mm-hmm. You gotta I, be in the mood sometimes, you know. The mood, and yeah, uh, and 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 you've seen that story so many times, so it's right. not many movies that dazzle me in that regard. I mean, Goodfellas, mm-hmm. I'd choose any time over any of the Godfathers, mm-hmm. you know, because I, you know, that story template um, doesn't really excite me. But so we, we're not talking story templates here from the Max, but they, they, they were aiming for for movies that uh, to do movies and they did that wasn't necessarily my cup of tea but long arm of the law movies are not uh, you know ambitious uh, super widescreen for two or two and a half hour movies though they are you know action movies and damn good ones but uh, mm-hmm. uh that, that that's a little bit what you know admirably what you know the mac brothers were trying out uh, michael mac by the way directed sex and sense i mean M- M- michael is no slouch mm-hmm. but uh, that, that's probably his best movie and uh, one of the few times he's done that uh, that wild uh, that wild type of Hong Kong cinema very wild um, and it's quick little tangent or whatever mm-hmm. we mentioned you mentioned uh, Goodfellas there's also a very Goodfellas-esque scene in this film that we're talking about today but we'll get to that I'm sure right uh, you have to remember that because I'm, I'm blanking on uh, I'm blanking on uh, what scene you're referencing should, now, should I uh, just go yeah. into it yeah, yeah like, go ahead. there's the sequence like after right after they get the money where uh, Tonalan Carfai goes, okay, now everyone, we do not, you know, make a big deal and you know, with the money, we have to, you know, don't buy big things, don't yes. do this. Then immediately, it cuts to Tony Carfai walking around and like dressed like Pimp Daddy McCain, and you know, sitting there spending. Yeah, that that, that that was a different thing they did for Sentence to Hang and Kidnap. It was only one character, the gambling mm-hmm. character, the weak character, that actually went out and just look, I have money here. All but oh, yeah. essentially Ken Cheng do that. Elvis Choice character is a little bit more so, but it's the leader that yeah. sort the guy of who says don't do it. Goes yeah. and then he sh- he's shown taking out the uh, carry um, you know, on mm-hmm. the town and all of that. So and uh, for those who for some reason haven't seen uh, Goodfellas, there's a very similar sequence after a big robbery where you know basically Robert De Niro tells everybody don't spend any money, and everyone goes out and starts spending big money. <laughs> And Cadillacs. Yes. So yes, <laughs> pretty, pretty funny uh, cutting in that regard. You know, it yes. always works. You know. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that is well matched between the movies is actually the the environments. You know, it, because it's a, both movies are fairly gritty in mm-hmm. the you know in in, in their depiction of uh, uh, the period that the movie is set in. Uh, right. You know, a real, you know, somewhat real, uh, realistic. 
and um, so so I, I I appreciated that and and obviously we we won't repeat too much of what go, goes on here in the first half because they are in my mind very similar in terms of how they get the characters on their way you know mm-hmm. they, they are pushed yeah I, I think a little bit more pronounced in sentence to hang as tony Leung acts as a big shot in the company he works at but he's actually not a big shot yeah. at all so it's mm-hmm. shown that a little bit more you're you're shown uh, chen feng who's the boss that they kidnap later mm-hmm. uh, he's uh you know, giving him, you know, uh, shouting at him and say, saying, you know, you think you're big shot, you know, big shot. Blah, 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 blah. And then you have, you know, Stuart Ong as the asshole uh, son. Right. And oh. uh, welcome back, Stuart Ong, to this week's yes. place. He's in this movie <laughs> as well, uh, playing the first uh, kidnapped victim that eventually dies and all that. So, so it's all very similar. But you know, d- despite that, do what do you think of? this section do you think it was better here They're better made uh, more clearly I, made than a kidnap i do i kind of do i think that the um boss characters and stuff were you know the characters who eventually get kidnapped and such i, I believe that they were mount, more pronounced and you know uh sentenced to hang yeah. whereas the other film i didn't feel like i got to know them as much it just seemed like the berating and everything like that that uh, tony lunkar has to take is you know more it pushes the story to me a little bit more than it does in uh, mm. in Kidnap, where it just feels like there's only one or two scenes, and you know you don't really get a feeling for the boss and what he's all about or anything like that. Mm. And it doesn't, you don't, I don't think you get as many scenes with uh, the character, the Tony Long character at work. You know, no, whereas, no, not really here. I mean, they, yeah. they, um... you find in like Loli plays a um, gas station attendant. Yes. Or whatever in the first movie and the boss walks up at one point and he's like you know you're the worst of the thousand employees i have or whatever mm-hmm. so you know he's just like a peon kind of to this character whereas it seems like a much more a closer relationship a more personalized relationship and sentence to hang where mm-hmm. you know tony long's i don't know if they were at the house or if it was at work or whatever but tony long carfi's outside washing the boss's car and everything like mm-hmm. that at one point and yes. you know Ultimately, that's kind of the sequence that almost gets him fired or what have you, I think. But, yeah, it just it, it seems to me it works a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, costing certainly helps. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, as, you know, fun as Stuart Ong is in other movies, I mean, mm-hmm. in raunchy Category 3 movies, he, he, he is a good actor. I mean, he, yeah. he's... Uh, He's, he plays the Japanese general in Hong Kong 1941, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a versatile actor. And here, playing, you know, the really you know, privileged and therefore asshole son of a big yeah. boss. So, you know, he, he, yeah. you know he, he's a douchebag and he really, he, you know, he has presence to it and he's a good-looking mm-hmm. guy and all that. And never, he's never been afraid to you know, dip his toe into, you know, anything in Hong Kong cinema, right. and including, as we'll talk about next episode, uh, necrophilia. <laughs> you know, that, that not for real, of course, but... Uh, but you know, I would n- assume not, yeah. But, but you know, no shame, but it, it's... Uh, it, I, I like this role better, perhaps because I know Stuart's work, but it, it, it's, right, it, yeah. it, it, it is, now that I think of it, more effective the way they're leading into the, the scam that they are about to mm-hmm. perform. And, and there's even a cool little scene where they actually... Ken Cheng is the one that is hesitant about it. They have that balance uh, in, mm-hmm. in the group that one is not right. too sure about it. So they have that coin-tossing scene where, you know, heads you participate and tails you don't, and 
and eventually he he's forced to because they you know they they are sworn brothers and uh, yeah. they can't do can't do things separately you know when two when two are in a third one must be as well so and that, that that's why I ultimately like about the casting and this that they retool Ken Chiang's character mm-hmm. to be more he's on board yeah in certain sections you know gleefully on board because there's money to be had but he's not at all as evil as Fan Mei Sheng is uh, portrayed right. to be because he, he was the doubter and uh, in the end he still remains uh, the doubter yeah. uh, and uh, regrets a whole lot so I you know Ken Cheng is you know a fantastic character actor yeah. in his sleep right. mean, uh, it's uh, uh, one of my absolute favorite actors and uh, could be so likable as well easily mm-hmm. likable you're one of the premium character actors in Hong Kong cinema you know, including in known stuff like Once Upon a Time in China where he plays, uh, yeah. plays uh, Butcher Wing uh, the Sam Hung character from Magnificent Butcher that's the same one that Kent plays in uh, in Once Upon a Time in China the uh, one of the disciples of uh, Wong Fei Hung but uh, man mm-hmm. I, I I can't say enough about Kent Cheng and I think he's fantastic in this movie yeah I mean he can do anything man he, he's so great in uh, Run and Kill and then uh mm-hmm. And then a crime story too, man, where he just like the plays that nasty villain against with Jackie Chan and everything like that. He's an amazing actor, you know, probably a guy that doesn't get the respect that he probably deserves, you know, mm-hmm. as a legitimate acting presence. And mm-hmm. in this film, it just kind of shows, you know, it's almost the role has been changed enough where it almost seems tailor made to his strong suits. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. Yeah, they didn't just cast uh, the first uh, the first uh, fatty that right. they came up with. You oh, know? Nice. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not lazy casting in that regard and I mean even uh, you know casting the likes of Elvis you know the, the mm-hmm. things we know about Elvis whoa he's going to be the violent one out of the group yeah. but not really I mean Elvis mm-hmm. is a great actor and he can be very likable too and, and it's uh, he has the character you know violence comes out of the character during this uh, d- during this scam but not he doesn't snap into psycho mode and no, and, uh, and no one really does uh, including Tony Lung, uh, Tony Lung's character he doesn't really. N- n- no one is, you know, the charismatic leader in that regard uh, at all times. I mean, they they mm-hmm. are they are shot in such ways at times when three of them approach a character all scarily, yeah, with very little lightning in the room and all of that. But uh, you know, it, it all it, it's more human, I think, uh, mm-hmm. the way these are portrayed, and and that certainly is true for when. Stuart Ong's character eventually gets killed during that uh, first attempted kidnapping. Yeah. I mean, and you don't see a whole lot. You just see a whole lot of struggling and chasing and rain and thunderstorms and mm-hmm. and eventually, boom! Someone is dead. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's an accidental killing. But Taylor Wong doesn't, you know, feature a shot where they, you know, here's the whatever going into Stuart Ong's head. Boom! <laughs> you know, it's it, it just happens. You know, and right. uh, all of them in it at the same time and all of a sudden someone is dead Mm -hmm. and uh and it's not terribly well thought out you know or anything like that there's nothing methodical about any of these characters really you know they're just throughout the whole movie flying by the seat of their pants Uh and um yeah i really that sequence i really liked it you know it's really not even clear what exactly i didn't think killed uh stuart ong's character no exactly i i I think uh wasn't it or was it for the boss later, didn't Ken Chang accidentally uh, choke him to death? Or... Oh, I think that wasn't Stuart Ong right there. 
Yeah, exactly. Not I've actually forgotten, but in one, right. it happened in one case, I think. It yeah. seemed, it seemed like it could have been that they were chasing him, and then they were beating him up while uh, Ken Cheng held his mouth or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. they never exactly, you know, nobody sat down and said, "Oh, you killed him," you know, it's your fault or mm-hmm. anything like that. So you never, you're never entirely, you know, sure exactly what part killed him. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're sitting there with shovels, and I think he might have been hit with the shovel in yeah. the back of the head, and you got people kicking him and stomping him while he's down. And then there's the possibility of him choking. You know, it's very, um, it's not in your face in that oh, aspect. No. Yeah. And, and and something that isn't in your face either is when they actually inject some humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of Stuart Dong's ear, it's the same uh, It's the same scenario where they send the ear of right. the son to uh, to his uh, father, the boss, and the, the son has a, 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 a mole on his ear, right? So he can't actually recognize that it's him. And uh, Elvis is going to mail that from uh, Macau, I believe, where his mother also lives. Uh, he takes a ferry to Macau, and uh, he, uh, he mails out the ear from there, and uh, he's seen putting it into the envelope. But the funny part is that the mom said, do you want some pig ears, son? <laughs> you know, treats into pig ears. And I, I, I thought that was a cute little moment. It was not oh, one yeah. of those IR moments, uh, you know, injected inappropriately, <laughs> which would have been great too, but it's uh, it's not, Freeze you know. Frame. Exactly. It's not like, <laughs> mom, it's not one of those, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, and, and and it all rolls along the same grade as Kidnap. I, I mean, I do like Kidnap a bit more because of my shameless, uh, you know, life of a style. But it's, it's well mounted, a bit slow, mm-hmm. but decently engaging, and 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 connecting again to the fact that this is called the Free Wolves case. It mm-hmm. again, yeah. they, they they do they have a drunken night together where they they mimic uh, wolf sounds, and uh, and and later they do have wolf masks on. When mm-hmm. they kidnapped Chen Feng's boss, I like that. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. And despite being having him in the box and speaking to him via a a megaphone or into a cup, <laughs> they 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 still want to conceal themselves, and they've uh, gotten wolf masks. And even though that's not made clear why exactly they did that, it seems like it was more in this case, in this movie's case, the gangs thought to 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 choose wolf masks and identify themselves as the wolf's gang, even if it's only between themselves, perhaps. I mean, right. it, it must it must have come out of the investigation, though, mm-hmm. because the, the case is still known as that when speaking to people in Hong Kong and looking it up online. The little there is mm-hmm. on it, it's it's named that. And, uh, and, and there's even more cute hum- humor in this, because uh, at one point, uh, Ke- Ken Cheng performs... Uh, Mouth to mouth on uh, one uh, on on the boss because he's uh, fainted or is unconscious in uh, in the box and he, he's blowing through his mask <laughs> and then later he puts the mask on again and it's upside down upside down and, oh, yeah I love and, that bit and it's kind of human buffoonery that uh, mm-hmm. that works with the film that it doesn't break any any mood that was established you know right. it's, it, it doesn't show that so, some producer is tapping on Taylor Wong's shoulder you know shoulder comedy. Oh, okay. uh, can't turn your mask upside down. Why? You know, just do it. It fits with the like the theme of this film in comparison to Kidnap, where like you know you watch the whole sequence where the boss is kidnapped and kid in the movie Kidnap, and it's uh, much more like like I said like a heist movie. You know, very yeah, well. And thought they never out. have the mask mask yeah, in Kidnap either. You know, so it's no, the no, first yeah. appearance of any 
than any of the mosques. Mm-hmm. And they're, yeah. you know, distorting their voice and stuff like that while speaking into the box and everything like that. And they hold, they're to... holding their nose or one nostril to distort their right. voice. <laughs> yeah, it's primitive. Okay, hey. like this. <laughs> it's primitive, but it works. Yeah. And, then, uh, and then you go to this movie and it's just regular Joes, kind of, is how I guess I would describe it. Just regular guys. Bad idea, doing some very bad things. Mm. Mm. And, uh, I think what helps this movie flow a little bit better is uh, it's not as long. It's um, a bit over 100 yeah. minutes, uh, which is actually better, I think. Uh, um, uh, it, it's a bit more uh, 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 tighter, I guess is the word. And, yeah. uh, the only thing, like, it misses a couple of things, like the whole sequence with, uh, like in Kidnap, there's the character that I referred to as kind of like the slow character or what mm-hmm. have you, the weak character. Like in uh, that movie, he goes to a gambling den and he's showing off his duds and yada, yada, yeah. yada. Well, I'll skip forward. The guy you know, puts two and two together and he's like, oh, you must be with the wolves. And yeah. he threatens them and ultimately wants more money. And that leads to the sequence we were talking about earlier with the gun and the clip and yada, yada. But anyway, in uh, this film, they kind of skip through all that stuff and just jump straight into the rest of the gang being uh, extorted for money. Mm. And then they find out, you know, without any scene kind of telling us anything, they find out that the weakling character had, you know, talked to this guy. And, you know, it's a little bit twisted or whatever, but, you know, it does skip a a lot of scenes, but it still works. Oh, yeah, I think so. Um, That's why... It doesn't feel like pure repetition when watching the movies. Ultimately, they they mm-hmm. have the you know you you it's still only a basic insight into the case probably, but mm-hmm. you know as much insight as we're gonna get, and we, we we get some. I mean, we, we get some appreciation for what type of characters did this and and all of that, and uh, and and two different filmmaking visions and all of that to to, uh, to this story. Um, what I want to say before we because I, I think we're leading into sort of the latter sections of the film soon. Uh, I want to re-emphasize again. That uh, Chen Feng veteran, like the Chen Feng playing the boss in this movie, is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Uh, he's mostly recognized as uh, Bruce Lee's master in Fist of Fury, mm. uh, Bruce Lee's second movie. Uh, is it that that's called the Chinese Connection in America? Fist uh, of Fury. Mm. <sighs> I, I was confused him because the big boss was called. Uh, uh, big boss became Fist of Fury, right? No. Yeah, uh, exactly. That, that switch happened in America, yeah. so I, I I never keep track of that. But he's... Chinese, uh, I mean the Chinese connection or whatever is uh, the Chen Zen film. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and as great as veteran actor Chen Feng is, is he's not great in Golden Harvest movies. He's much better in Shaw Brothers movies because mm-hmm. he was a fantastic villain in Shaw Brothers movie. That mm-hmm. glare. In particular, in King Boxer, aka Five Fingers of Death, he is absolutely fantastic. He looks so almost, again, on the regal theme here, but <laughs> it's just intimidating as fucking hell. And yeah. and here he, you know, a bit older, and um, it's not supposed to be an intimidating villain or anything, but he's he's got veteran chops and per per default already that makes it great but you know it's the it's the change in character when he eventually finds finds out in the box that his son has died you know they revealed to him we've killed him already well yeah. good good my son was useless yeah. and then he breaks down but not in a teary eyed tv melodrama way right. just subtle veteran mm-hmm. beats and i think if i don't remember what 
who was nominated if anyone was nominated for this movie but goddamn that would have been a best supporting actor <laughs> nomination in my right. book uh, uh, for Tian Feng uh, so um, yeah. yeah so 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 if anyone wants to see some different sides to you know Bruce Lee's master you know check out King Boxer he is uh, quite a you know you you loathe him after that movie and he's he's kind of badass too because his eyes are very intense and dark and scary and uh but but he can play all manner roles i mean he was not typecast as such he could be very kind too and um he's also in uh, uh jackie chan's uh, miracles mm. plays uh, the uh, future father-in-law of one of the um characters in that movie so um that comes to visit uh in the middle of the movie or something like that Mm. so um yeah uh, Chen Feng but uh c- comparing a little bit more actors we, we've done that with Ken Cheng and uh Fan Mei Cheng but you know, b- between Law Leet and Tony Longafa I, I thought you know I, as much as we discussed the, the merits of these characters in Sentence to Hang being you know mm-hmm. ordinary Joes and all that Tony in certain sequences Tony Longafa is you know the calculating killer a little bit more you know uh you know, a guy who leads them, and I didn't really buy that at yeah. all times. Lolita, on the other hand, you buy yes. that in an instant. So mm-hmm. that's the weak link, cost-wise. I think uh, right. between the movies, uh, it's uh, Tony Longafai, who ten years later, if he got in this role, that would have worked much more because he became more heavy, uh, mm-hmm. not not obese, heavy set, <laughs> but he got a more rugged presence in movies i mean watch for instance ringo lamb's victim where he mm. plays a cop he's yeah. downright scary in that movie and uh you know really corresponds to that big tony nickname that he has compared to little tony which is uh tony long chiwai of hard-boiled and one kawaii's one kawaii's yeah. in the mood for love and all of that but uh i i didn't feel tony worked as well as he could have or should have in this movie no, I, I totally agree, you know, and especially when you got Lou Lee kind of leading the way in the previous film. He doesn't really stand up quite as much. His character kind of seems just, um, what's the word, I don't know, confused, you know. It's just, it's not as well developed, you know. Is he a you know remorseless killer? Is he, you know, I think that the early half of the film kind of paints him in a totally different light than the resentful kind of guy that we see in the very final scenes you know yeah. I, I don't think that that uh, is where like you were talking about earlier I think it works a lot better with Lo Lee I think that uh, he kind of uh, developed that throughout that film I think that was much better and then this film you just don't really get that from him you know he's mm-hmm. kind of almost a I'm not going to say comical character but I, I would say he's a lighter character and then mm-hmm at the very end it's like they try to tack on some you know much heavier type of material for this character and you know you're just kind of left going well that doesn't really work hmm. mm-hmm. yeah yeah unfortunately that that, that became the movie stumbled a little bit but it, it has such strong elements it's mainly via Ken Cheng as uh, mm-hmm. you know but, but police oh, yeah. are closing in on him we get of course the repeat of him threatening his son with the cleaver after the son has called police on him, which works much much better here because he he's not sh- again being shown as being fairly evil, but he still mm-hmm. shows a bit of hatred for you turn me in, but what am yeah. I doing? Uh, yeah, and I like that his hiding place in this one is not under the bed, but in the uh, in, in the bird um, in the little oh. bird's uh, coo, uh, if you will, you know, basically hiding underneath uh, them and them shitting on him while yeah. he hides from the police you know <laughs> yeah. what 
not dignified at all, and it shouldn't uh-uh. be either. No. You know, in, in Kidnap, uh, it seems like Fan Mei Sheng had uh, built a, a hiding place under the bed, a clean, clean, nice hiding place under the bed. Right. It seems like more of a cheap way out for him. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, w- w- one thing that movie also does is it takes care of that fourth character here, as he's shown being sentenced mm-hmm. uh, in the brief court scene. So, okay, yeah. they they did right by taking care of that character rather than throwing in a subtitle or one uh, sentence dialogue at the end of Kidnap. But uh, he, he, then comes the challenging part of the movie where, where I'm curious what you thought of the movie mainly focusing on again Ken Cheng and Elvis Choi in the on, on death row because the movie turns downright hugely melodramatic and yes. that is not on my behalf a huge criticism either but I, I wanted to hear your take on that on that through those all veteran actors and already kind of well-developed actor in Ken Cheng and Elvis Choi respectively yeah uh I think Elvis Choi certainly you know, is the most over the top of, you know, the cast members during the sequence. But I got to admit that, you know, first watch the death row sequence, probably one of the most compelling bits in the entire film for me. You know, I, I think it's, you know, kind of striking the indignity of the situation and uh, to see these characters kind of melt away. And I think they do show, you know, a lot of humanity in this role. Whereas, you know, the other film, you know, you still, like you said, you had this kind of stoic, uh, heavy set character and you know a lot not quite breaking down where these characters you know you kind of get more of a you know well shit man <laughs> you know mm-hmm. this really didn't go the way it was supposed to and you kind of feel bad for them even though you know in a lot of ways these aren't really the type of sympathetic characters these are guys who do bad things and even the Kent Shin character like you mentioned earlier where you know he at the beginning of it, he's not really into it, but then there's the sequence with him and I think Elvis Choi and Tony Lankarpai kind of dancing out in the street after after having committed murder and you know someone agreeing to pay them the money for mm-hmm. a murdered man, you know. Yes. So there's that whole thing, and you're like, wow, you know. I mean, it, it's a moral conundrum. It's it's really, you know. But it's not meant for you know. Taylor Wong is not saying feel sorry for them. No, he's not. But 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 breakdown is still. Yeah, a breakdown is still breakdown. Yeah, I mean these these guys aren't robots. These guys aren't uh, demons. They are just regular guys who kind of followed a very wrong and very black path. And you know now you're going to see you know what happens to them. You know, that's the name of the movie: sentence to hang. And this is what would happen. What do you think would happen with some guys facing imminent death? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I do I do like that part of the uh, film, and even though it is a lot of crazy hysterics and you know Elvis Choi kind of banging his head against the wall and going crazy, but yeah, I, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I I've criticized such huge melodrama on uh, mm-hmm. the podcast on Fire Network before, but obviously I should state that it's kind of always also on a case to case basis. Movie from movie to movie, it may work horribly you know kept horribly bad and some mm-hmm. movie can make it work really really well i'm not saying it works really really well here but considering that it goes really melodramatic and intense you know pitch you know the emotions are pitched high it's it's not at all bad including for uh watching elvis uh you know essentially being knowing he you know he shamed his he shamed his mother yeah. and uh you know because he was a character that like taking care of his mother and obviously mm-hmm. was a good son and all of that and uh but you know it, it um 
it was a good term that he used that they melt 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 away melt uh, melt down and uh, he's mm-hmm. certainly true for him we we never see as per kidnaps structure elvis's characters uh, hanging we um yeah we, are, we only essentially witness you know ken chang's and uh and uh, uh, tony longafai's hanging and and while the set isn't as well constructed in this movie it's still pretty eerie and uncomfortable especially how the, the how the hangings are shot in uh in slow motion and all of that and uh and it's actually the movie is actually shot by a young Herman Yao, who's one of the hardest working directors in Hong Kong s- still today, and a damn fine director too, uh, working fast and with very little. And he's got several gems on his hand, and he's a an accomplished cinematographer as well. And this was uh, an early gig for him, and uh, I f- think he does well. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, uh, it's mainly the the slow motion shots of the hanging that uh, this movie has kind of over kidnapped they they uh focus mm-hmm. a little bit on that quick act albeit in slow motion and uh but when it's over it's over and the movie kind of ends quickly as well you know as soon as yeah. it's over we don't get any coda it's just uh you know yeah. a, a brotherhood that was you know yeah. a brotherhood in death which they promised as kids and uh but who knew it will turn out uh, like this, and uh, but but no one, no one will, uh, sh- you know, ha- having a sympathy for these fates, uh, uh, though, uh, as we as we discussed. So yeah, it's much more open to the viewer in that regard, you know, without the, uh, you know, the the opening commentary and such like that, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that the you know the film opens with the shot of the three char- main characters as children making that blood oath or whatever and then it, it ends on the same shot of that yeah. after all of the horrible things that happen and uh yeah i think that is an interesting facet of this film in comparison to kidnap which you know i don't know if they actually did that the char- real characters if they were blood brothers and promised you know to always look after one another since childhood or not but it works it, it, for it's a it's a dramatic sense. device that right. sort yeah. of emphasizes that so uh, mm-hmm. uh it's not lazy as such to include it you know for, uh, it's not overstating either uh, right. the obvious when you, uh, when you get 40 and 50 years away from a case it's easier to take uh you know a little you know leeway with the story in comparison to like 15 20 years mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, definitely yeah i mean it's a uh, Again, I, I will return to both movies, though. I wouldn't exclude mm-hmm. uh, a movie if I wanted to, uh, you, you know, experience what, what uh, the story again. I mean, but both have their merits, um, and uh, that's uh, the, the, that doesn't necessarily make them a good double bill in actuality for mm-hmm. you know for your casual viewing at home because you you are going to see some very f- similar similar stretches of film. But uh, uh, they, they they both have their um, their merits and the. It's not the movie that kickstarted the category free genre. It's not. It took a while before category free became a genre symbol. It right. took three years, but uh, this is the first, and it's important to to note that that it's not forgotten. Uh, that um, mm-hmm. be, because it it is an occasion that that Hong Kong needed its eighteen and o- own, over only rating, and uh, after a while, filmmakers realized they could utilize that. Very well, <laughs> you yes. know, for our pleasure, for our, you know, for for those of us looking for lots of sex and gore, we we got it, and 
you know, uh, sometimes we perhaps didn't really want to get as much as uh, a category three rating allowed, you know, run and kill, red to kill, or what have you. But mm. you know, it, it's uh, it, we 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 thank them for creating it, and uh, and and sentence to hang is an essential one to to know off at least. I would recommend watching it, of course, but uh, m- maybe some people only want to know of it as a historic piece because the story perhaps don't uh, appeal to them. They perhaps want something more nasty, like Dr. Lambs, something more instant and in-your-face. And God bless you if you do, because it's a great movie. Uh, disgusting, hard-to-take movie, but Dr. Lamb is still you know, a genre classic as well. Yeah. Uh, one final note. I, I don't know if you watched the uh, trailer on the Hong Kong DVD of uh, Sentence to Hang. I did not. I I um I found it on YouTube uh, and it's actually more or less structured as uh, they ask people on the street if they remember the Free Wolves case and also mm, young yes. people don't some young people have a know a little bit about it and the elder ones know more about it because they it was a shock in Hong Kong at the time and all of that and then they have maybe two minutes of that and one minute of movie footage so they, it's a fun trailer to watch which is also subtitled, so you can see what the responses are uh, by uh, the people on the streets. There's a fun trailer that we'll link to in the show post that uh, is structured differently compared to Hong Kong trailers, which were just four minutes of random footage, way too revealing footage in terms of uh, the uh, you know the inner workings of uh, the plot. <laughs> you know, they could reveal the endings in certain movies via these four or five minutes. <laughs> oh, God. And uh, the longest I think I've seen is like a six-minute trailer for Ninja in the Dragon's Den, the Corey Yun Conan Lee movie. That was six minutes long. It's not even a trailer anymore. You know, it's a long short t- film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is really cool. So check that out, uh, you, Josh, and the listeners mm. as well. We'll link to that. Uh, unless you have anything else you want to share about Sentence to Hang, I think uh, it's time to... Uh, tell the listeners what we're doing next time yes let's move along so next time on tidy whitey theater more Stuart Ong yes more Stuart Ong nastiness necrophilia more Stuart Ong with red panties over his head we're doing rock on fire and Rebecca no 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 no, not Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca (laughs) come on no and and the possible return of King Who yes Mm. You heard that right. The possible return, we're hoping that's going to come true. We have we have a few weeks to, to get this done and all of that. So, ro- Because King Who adores Rock on Fire, and I, I do as well. It's a great film. Uh, necrophilia and action and sex and uh, just uh, balls to the wall. Uh, many things that are wrong in the movie that you have to embrace fully. You know, leave your moral center, you know, in, in, in a sort of a, a, a nice feel with uh, yellow bright flowers and join us in the gutter yes. as, we, as we examine Rock on Fire and Rebecca and again Rock on Fire is a choice because it's a favorite of mine and Stuart Ong is a nasty bastard in that Rebecca I've seen a screen cap of with Stuart Ong with red panties over his head looking rather <laughs> pleased uh, it might be a comedic sequence. It, um, it might be a rape sequence. Regardless, that just sold me. So That's rock- Stuart Hall. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's not been as much Charlie as when King Who was on here. It's been mostly Stuart Ong when we got <laughs> we got you on here. So yes. Uh, but uh, that's next time. So a little bit of contact information. Then it's uh, then it's sign off. So you know, 
think of a great great sign off uh, akin to the great great intro you, you, you have you have two minutes or something to yes. come up with uh, something that uh, will uh, that will blow our minds or not we'll see what happens you've been listening to this week in sleaze tidal way theater on the podcast on fire network the website is podcastonfire.com where it's uh, where it's located next to all the other classy shows uh, every other show is classy obviously than this one even though we took that this episode serious but you know what i mean uh the button is still charlie Cho, you know with his mouth open uh with a boob next to him <laughs> so there you go who's the boob <laughs> that, that's charlie uh, contact uh, us via email podcast on fire at googlemail.com you can uh, join us on the forum as well podcastonfire.com forward slash forum check out the members only archive located there but over on the main website we have our bonus episode archive that is uh, growing steadily no scheduled uh, bonus or boner episode yet for <laughs> this week in sleeves but uh, you know that might happen soon uh, also on facebook facebook.com forward slash pof network is our fan page and but we also have the, the main discussion goes on in the discussion group that you can find by searching in the facebook search box just type in podcast on fire network and we're also on twitter twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire uh, sleazy k that's me do my writing on so good reviews.com and sleazy k video.com and uh, by the time you hear this i'm not sure what kind of review will be up there but it's always a mixture of Guayla Ninjas, you know, Godfrey Ho and uh, Category 3 and Taiwan Black Movies and uh, Hong Kong Horror Show, Robert's Horror. It's always a yeah. cool little brew. You never know what's going to hit you. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter talking about all of that nonsense. Twitter.com forward slash so good reviews. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Stream us via the application Stitcher, Stitcher.com. And download it, load it to your computer or your smartphone. And uh, I should just mention Shelf Life Clothing again. Support Brian Kirby's t-shirt line and uh, buy a skate deck as well, buy a belt as well, buy some posters and toys <laughs> and stuff. Uh, and uh, tell us about your endeavors as well. Well... Oh my God. <laughs> Let me see here. I'm representing very Lloyd.net and V-Cinema. <laughs> I don't even Star- know what accent this is. St- starring in a Guy Ritchie movie? <laughs> I'm starring in a Guy Ritchie movie next month. My name's Jason Statham. Jason Statham. Oh, it's Jason Statham. And, uh. No, I can't do anything. Um. <laughs> yeah, greatcellular.net, vcinemashow.com. Uh, holding it down. Uh, what up? Come at me, bro. <laughs> That's it. Right on. Yes. No, nice and subdued. Almost yeah, down here, so down a notch, yeah. yeah, it takes a lot out out of you. P- pulse yeah. of blood pressure gets, uh, <laughs> you know, the great over. lord enters yeah, the exactly. room now. But now it's time for for him to exit the room. So I've been your host, Lizzie K. With me was the great lord Joshua Regal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, the sign-off is going to be something, at least, or, or the intro is going to be something, at least. And in, in the middle, it's still regular old Josh. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Somebody skipping from the front to the back. Oh, Kidnap was a great movie. You know? <laughs> no, right. Who is this weirdo doing these voices? <laughs> uh, anyway, see you next time. Peace.